Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashwin, and today we are discussing Renfield from 2023, directed by Chris McKay, written by Ryan Ridley and Robert Kirkman, starring Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage, Aquafina, and Ben Schwartz. In this film, Renfield attempts to break free from his century of servitude to Count Dracula, but meets resistance both from Dracula and a local crime syndicate. Syndicate. If you're new to the show, uh, we're going to talk about the movie like background info type stuff, spoiler free for the first 15 or 20 minutes. But then after that, we're going to play a little transition music and go into spoiler mode where we walk through the plot in detail, spoil everything, and then review the film. So once that transition music comes, you should go see this in a theater so you don't get it spoiled for you by us. Uh, we also did a Patreon episode this week on the 2022 film The Menu, which also featured Nicholas Holt. Uh, strangely good timing by us, I guess, on accident. So if you're not already a patron, you can join by going to horrormovieclub.com and clicking on the big orange button. That will bring you to the Patreon site where you can subscribe for a dollar a month and gain access to some bonus episodes and a couple of videos we have out there. Ashwin? A strange experience for you. You are just stepped out of the theater and we're recording right away. <laughs> I know, man. Uh, this is very fresh for me. And uh, yeah, usually like we watch something and then like we both have like a day or two to put our notes together at least. So uh, yeah, still still top of mind. Uh, excited to have someone to talk to you about it right, right out of the theater. That's fun. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of you. You saw it, uh, what, like opening night or something? I saw it Friday night. Opening night then, right? Or do movies open on Thursdays Well, now? yeah, it's weird. Friday is, like, technically opening day, but they come out Thursday night. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Movies kind of come out whenever they want to now. I think that started with, like, a Thursday midnight showing, mm -hmm. and now it's just become, like, yeah, <laughs> these come out Thursday night. Exactly, yeah. Uh, how, uh, here in Chicago, it's only playing at, like, select theaters. Uh, did you have a hard t time finding it? Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I didn't struggle to find it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't tell like how uh, wide of a release it is, but um, not crazy busy tonight, which is Monday night, but how, how was it on opening night? Uh, you know, it, the horror movies I go to see on opening night are never crazy busy, unfortunately. Mm. I don't know if it's the theaters I'm going to or just the state of things. It was populated. I, it was healthy enough that there was crowd reaction noise, which I'm always a fan of. Yeah, so. that, that helps in a movie like this, for sure. <laughs> Right, right. Especially, this is a horror comedy, by the way, so it's nice right. to hear the laughs. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> important cues. Um, and uh, did The Pope's Exorcist also come out this weekend? The Pope's Exorcist came out this weekend as well. I'm so grumpy okay. about this, and I'll rant for a bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> And we'll get right into budget and box office, too. The budget I saw was $65 million, which is a big budget for a mm. movie like this. Box office opening weekend, I think, was $10 million the last time I checked. Not great. Less than they were hoping. That's an international number, that $10 million. Mm -hmm. Released the same weekend as The Pope's Exorcist starring Russell Crowe, and The Pope's Exorcist beat this movie. I, wanna, yeah. I don't I'll say a number, but I'd probably get it wrong. It, it beat it pretty handily, I think. Mm. And next weekend, we have Evil Dead Rise, a very anticipated horror film. And Bo is Afraid, a very anticipated film by horror director Ari Aster. Mm. Why are these movies <laughs> in April, April? We have four horror movies. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure Bo is afraid. It's been flirting with the horror tag, but now yeah. it seems most people are thinking it's horror. Yeah. All releasing two on the same weekend back to back. It makes me so angry. We're, then we're going to have May and June without barely anything. Yeah. It's like seems Easter like t- famine. Terrible timing. I don't, I don't know why studios would uh, do this uh, and not spread it out. It doesn't seem like in anyone's best interest. Well, I was thinking about collusion. Interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like capitalism type stuff. Yeah. I don't think they communicate with each other about their release dates. And oh, but release dates are announced like so far in advance though, right? Right, that you could kind of... But I don't think it'd be really super easy to pivot, right? You mm. you kind of say, okay, well, we're going to do this and we work up to it and got to get every all your ducks in a row for it. Sure. I don't know how easy it'd be. You got this whole like marketing plan and you can't just like change it every time another movie announces they're coming out at the same time. Right, right. And yeah. anyone who, I know we've got Margarito Dorito on our Discord server who's kind of in the industry, so if, if anybody has insight, let us know. But hmm. imagine they don't communicate with each other, and I got to thinking, okay, collusion is usually illegal because it hurts the consumer. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I was thinking this would help the consumer if they all just got together and said, look, we do horror movies, let's make sure there's as, like, as many horror movies releasing on as many weekends as possible without overlap. Hmm. That would yeah. be good for the consumer. But then I got to thinking, well, the big studios could get together and make sure they had one of their movies, let's say it's four studios, every weekend. Oh. And that would prevent Other studios, one, some yeah. of the smaller studios from getting in and taking opening weekend. Sure. Know? Yeah. That's true. That's true. It could be a play by the bigger studios. Um, what about, oh, audience, if you talk about consumers and consumer segmentation, do you think these movies, like this one and The Pope's Exorcist, is that what it's called? Yes. Oh, okay. Are they vying for the same audiences, even like Bo is Afraid and Evil Dead? Like, I feel like these are four very different movies. Like, do you think it's going for the same crowd? I think so. I think horror fans are horror fans, to a degree. I mean, there's some variation there, and they're a Venn diagram of sorts, but I think the center of the Venn diagram is probably pretty big. Yeah, yeah. No, and I like, don't think you could say collusion's illegal unless you're just, like, talking about <laughs> horror movie fans. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Couldn't get that granular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like all four are, like, kind of, uh, yeah, top of mind for people. I've, I've heard, like, kind of strong hype for all of them from, from some people. Right. So, yeah, it's really weird. Uh, I wonder why April. We didn't have a similar thing last year in April. Uh, I want to say, like, uh, Pearl. Or not Pearl, but X, maybe, and Scream. Were they, like, around springtime, March, April? I think spring came around March. Yeah. Spr- did I say did I think spring, spring came around <laughs> yeah. March? It did. <laughs> it it always does. does. Yeah. Scream came around March. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, X in April? I w- I'm tempted to think that it was. Yeah. But part of me also thinks it was as late as like June. But yeah, uh, it was kind of like early. Okay, early yeah. Early near springish. Yeah, but still like far apart enough where like, yeah, th- there's a significant gap there. Yeah, right. We weren't mm. bombarded like all of a sudden. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah, I'm grumpy about it because I wanted to see <laughs> all these movies in the theater, but I just don't think it's going to be possible. And I know a lot of people had to kind of make a tough decision. <laughs> people making tough choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm it's... talking about it so gravely. And... <laughs> I mean, you can just go see a movie twice in a week. It's not, it's not a huge deal, is it? And I mean, if you have two kids and a wife who oh, is going to be grumpy that you just escape. <laughs> Brian's been gone every night this week. Actually, if I didn't have a podcast, I probably would have the time. Have had the time. To <laughs> yeah, go see right. This is probably like the most time-consuming thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. But I mean, you know, they'll stick around for what, like a, a month or two? I mean, I don't know how long the, uh, movies stick around in theaters anymore. Yeah, sure, sure. But then, like, you know, you got the bleed over with the next weekend more comes out. It's just annoying. Yeah. I feel like uh, as people who are producing movies, maybe there's a rush to get this stuff out before summer blockbuster season kicks in and, like, right. all the action movies start coming in and stuff. Uh, sure. Maybe this is, like, some kind of window um, where they, they have to squeeze these types of movies in. That's a good point. You don't want to, like, slip your little horror movie in, in the cracks when there's, like, big blockbuster yeah. stuff. Although Super Mario Brothers kind of ended up oh, right. being that movie for everybody. It's yeah, making that's true. a ton of money. Yeah, that and apparently, like, there's some Lord of the Rings movie that's out, too, I think. Is um, there really? Boy, I'm not even keeping up on the yeah. other films. I think so. I think so. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's cool to, to be in this month, I guess. Sure. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is uh, a movie that is a sequel, which I didn't really think about. Like, I knew it was in, like, this long-standing tradition of Dracula, but it is distributed by Universal Pictures, who had a decade or two of these iconic monster movies, horror films in the 1930s and even into the 50s. Uh, so, yeah, the film not only borrows from 1931's film Dracula, but even recreates some of the scenes with Holt as Renfield and Cage as Dracula in some flashbacks near the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, they're calling it a sequel. and Like 90 years later? It makes sense. It's the same studio. It doesn't even need to be the same studio, I don't think, as long as they own the rights. But, yeah, like 92 years later. I know. That's that's insane. Uh, It feels weird to call it a sequel. Like, (laughs) we shouldn't be allowed to, but... Yeah, you think there should be time limits on, on sequels? I guess not, but I mean, I can't help but wonder if this is the longest gap ever Yeah, between a film and its sequel. 92 years? Right, right. Like, there's been some sequels or remakes to things like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, I Yeah, you would have expected more like a remake or something, right? Like, uh, what's going on with Nosferatu, maybe? Yeah, right. Yeah. but okay. sequels. And that Nosferatu has been kind of like riffed on and reworked, but a direct right. sequel? Yeah. I'm sure they've happened, but 92 years, that's a big gap. It is. It is. Yeah, I was kind of blown away by that. Um, and it's cool how they roped that into the intro. We re- we watched uh, the original, what, like last year? No, no, we didn't. We watched the Hammer Horror Dracula uh, film. Oh, really? Okay, wait. I, th- I thought that was uh, it was a sequel to that film. No, it was just kind of a, a retooling of the, of the same story. All kind of taking a page from... The book. Oh, okay. Wait, so, so the original movies in the 30s, the one you and I saw were, was in the 50s and that was a remake? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a remake. I would just call it another adaptation of the novel. Okay, got it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah but Dracula, Universal's Dracula was from 1931. Got it. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah damn. Have you seen that one? I have. I actually watched it. Maybe within the past few months for the first time, which wow. now I'm very glad. Yeah, because cool. I, I got a lot of the not only the flashbacks, but there's other visual references and touch points throughout the film. Oh, cool! Yeah, I definitely didn't catch any of that. That's great. Yeah. So, so speaking of those old Universal horror movies, for nearly a decade, Universal's been trying to get something started again with these Universal monsters that it kind of has as its property. And in 2014, they can't really have them as their property per se, but they kind of, in a sense, 
it's just they're associated with Universal. Mm. Certain things they actually probably can sue over, like Frankenstein's exact appearance and stuff. Um, but anyway, in 2014, plans were announced to create movies in a shared universe with the classic Universal monsters. But the failures of Dracula Untold in 2014 and The Mummy in 2017 kind of had them pumping the brakes on this idea. But then they were reinvigorated with The Invisible Man from 2020 mm. and decided to create more stories based on these classic monsters. I think there's one on The Invisible Man coming out soon, too. Another one of The Invisible Man? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or, I'm sorry, did I say The Invisible Man? What did I mean? Wolfman. Oh, on The Wolfman. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy to put these in the same universe as like The Invisible Man uh, and The Mummy. Like, how how is The Mummy? Like, yeah, th- those films like couldn't be more different. The Mummy was like this terrible shit movie did you see the 2014 dracula untold i didn't know i I haven't seen like any of the mummy movies even Um, the brendan fraser ones no Uh, no i saw a hammer horror mummy movie but that was it okay okay so uh these characters are owned by universal and hammer horror was uh like what, what was the role here they aren't truly owned by universal but Universal kind of has their stamp on it to a degree. Like, you can't really own... Unless you own the right... Yeah. I don't think you can own the rights to Dracula anymore, like Stoker's mm. Dracula. Okay. so long ago. Yeah. Um, and Universal, I don't think, ever did. They just... Maybe... I don't know. I'm getting... I'm getting... I'm wading into territory that I don't fully understand here, so I'm just kind of talking out my ass. Sure. But, <laughs> but where, where does Hammer Horror come in? Because I, I thought they had a big uh, uh, like ownership on, on some of these monsters. Yeah, they don't have ownership either, but they kind of they made their own classic monster movies from okay. the same source mis- material. Like Got a lot it. of these are based on novels. Got it. And they didn't run into any legal troubles from Universal unless they, like, you know, I think there was pushback to make sure they didn't get Frankenstein's head the exact same like size and shit mm. and stuff like sure. that. Sure, rules. Like if it was well. so similar to their movies, but these characters just kind of exist in pop culture. Yeah, sure. You can't own a mummy, like you can't own a zombie. You know. Yeah. <laughs> what about dumb mummy though? You could own that one. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, damn. Uh, th- yeah, yeah. I guess that's all like kind of public uh, out there then. Um, but uh, I w- so this film uh, was it Universal? This one was yeah distributed okay. by Universal. Renfield was distributed by Universal. Got it. Okay. Uh, Invisible Man too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, wow. Okay. Good for them. Yeah. It was directed by Chris McKay. Renfield was uh, who directed three seasons of Robot Chicken. He created the story for this year's Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor Among Thieves, and he directed the Lego Batman movie in 2017, The Tomorrow War in 2021, among other films. And we'll be seeing more of him in the upcoming years. He's already got some irons in the fire, including a Johnny Quest movie and a sequel to the Lego Batman movie. Yeah. The writers here, we've got Ryan Ridley, who has a lot of experience as a comedy writer. Some of his many credits include writing 10 episodes of Rick and Morty, being a staff writer on the show Community for 25 episodes, which for my money is one of the funniest sitcoms ever. Do you watch Community? Uh, I've seen a few episodes. Yeah, I like that one. It's so good. good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you got some comedic chops here. And then Robert Kurtman, who came up with the story, is most known for co-creating the Walking Dead comic book series, which spawned huge hugely successful show he also wrote a number of the episodes of that show uh so yeah we've got horror and comedic chops here on the writing side of things so Mm -hmm. 
those boxes are checked. And then these actors have some experience in horror too. Nicholas Holt, we just talked about, was in the menu last year. He was in the zombie comedy Warm Bodies from 2013. Oh, yeah. Been kind of meaning to watch that. I I can't quite pull the trigger on it, but now I'm a little bit more inspired to. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's cool to see him in this genre. He, yeah. He's big from Shameless, I think, right? Was he in Shameless? Um, I thought so. Uh, I what's didn't... He... Oh, I thought you mentioned that on the menu. Hmm. I uh, thought the writing team had something to do with Shameless on the menu. And uh, the director. Okay. I, th- I think he's in the British version of Shameless. Oh, maybe. Um... But, oh, you know, never mind, Skins. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> okay, totally different show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, neither of which I've seen. <laughs> okay, we're doing great. Should I yeah. talk more about who owns the rights to things? <laughs> yeah, let's get back so to that So keep sounding smart? All right, let's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you talking about Nicolas Cage in, in his vampire experience? Yeah, he, he was the lead in Vampire's Kiss in 1989, which is on our request list for us to cover at some point. Yeah, Joseph, uh, who's been on our show, uh, said we need to see that one. I guess it, it sounds like terrible. Uh, I actually, I read an article in it from Fangoria, an article about it in Fangoria, and they, they seem to say, yeah, this has become fodder for like YouTube compilations of Nick Cage losing his shit, but it's actually kind of an interesting movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to go see that now yeah speaking of Nick Cage I feel like the last horror film that we saw of his was Mandy is that right yeah Mandy he's done quite a few of the past few years Mandy Color Out of Space Willy's Wonderland yeah you haven't seen those but when you go into a film that you know Nick Cage is in are you is there like do you have an expectation uh, of like the performance you're about to see I don't but I know I think a lot of people do and there's He's got his own cult following of people who just love to see his bonkers acting. The Wicker right. Man is another horror movie that he's yeah. famous for giving a wacky performance in. Right, right. So yeah, I think I, he has that brand. He has the brand. So I was expecting this movie, part of the reason we're covering this movie, I think, is like, I think we were both expecting this movie to outperform The Pope's Exorcist. Or maybe you didn't. Yep. I don't know. I wasn't paying too much attention. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I was going off of what you're saying. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like a huge star power here. I, I yeah, I guess I, I would have assumed the same. I thought more people would turn out to see Nicolas Cage as Dracula, but right. But no matter. Um, Aquafina has been a rising star as well over the past five years or so, not unlike Nicholas Holt, with films like The Farewell, Crazy Rich Asians, Ocean's Eight. Raya and the Last Dragon and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. For her role in The Farewell, she won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical and became the first woman of Asian descent to win a Golden Globe in any lead actress category. That's awesome. And Aquafina is a rapper. I think some people might not know that. Her original rise to prominence was with the breakout of her music video My Vag on YouTube <laughs> in 2012. Oh, I didn't realize that was a song. <laughs> it's a song. We, we stumbled upon it on YouTube one night and we were like, huh, okay. <laughs> Pretty good. Catchy. Uh, I did not enjoy it very much, but uh, okay, that doesn't matter. <laughs> My Vag. <laughs> And then Ben Schwartz, many will know as John Ralphio from Parks and Rec, uh, but has appeared in many films and TV shows over the past decade or two. But I think for so many people, that's just who he is. He's John Ralphio. John Ralphio. <laughs> yeah, I think he was like in every one of his roles, he, he is those John Ralphio. 
he's he's got a very specific like appearance and delivery it just fits yeah yeah it works Rotten Tomatoes score only 59 from critics so it's just below getting that fresh rating 80% from users um let's see what else do I got on this scored by Marco Beltrami who's scored dozens of films but who I mostly associate with the Scream films as I'm guessing you probably do too mm-hmm and the cinematography was from Mitchell Amundsen. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Who has uh, over the, like some over-the-top action movies in his past. Like he shot Transporter 2 and Michael Bay's Transformers in 2007. Uh, yeah, so I feel like you got all the pieces here for what this movie was trying to do. You know, the yeah. over-the-top action. You got the comedy and the horror on the writing side of things. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see in our review how that all pans out. Yeah, if it all comes together. Yeah. Any other background you want to get in before we move on to the plot and stuff? Uh, just the last thing, uh, and you know, we, I know we have an episode episode on the Lost Boys coming out soon, but uh, vampires. This one specific to Dracula. What do you, what do you think? Are, are they making a, a comeback on vampire films? Because like, I, I think while watching this, there was a theater f- or a, a trailer for like a, another one this later this year uh so yeah what's what's your take are we coming back on this yeah it was funny so we kind of banked that that recording of the lost boys for a later date and we were talking about the last voyage of the demeter and which is coming up that was was like previous i think it's still coming out this year i haven't heard anything about it and then like the day after i said that the trailer dropped and everyone was talking about it Mm. So I'm going to need you to edit that out of that episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm lost. So sorry. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get a ton of mail. Sure, I thought that was a trailer for... Because isn't there a new uh, Nosferatu coming out soon? Uh, By Eggers? I th- yeah, I think Eggers is doing a Nosferatu as well. Was there? Did you see a trailer for that as well? Uh, I didn't, but I, I thought this trailer was for Nosferatu. But, oh, uh, okay. Well, there was a trailer in in my showing for The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what mine was too. Um but uh, yeah, or do you think like vampires? I, I know like in the last year or two, we've had some cool uh, new approaches uh, to vampires. Um, I, I wonder like, are, did did we get enough time in between where it kind of died down, and now we might be coming back on bringing these guys back? It might be coming back. It might be coming back. I think there's as we discussed in that episode, which is weird because no one's heard it yet. <laughs> I think people are realizing there are different stories you can tell with the vampire mythos even though yeah. all these movies we t- are talking about are all riffs on stoker's dracula i know i know and and but there have been like so many good movies over the years which have done like really innovative things um one movie i really want to see and have you seen this one the girl walks alone at night yeah you haven't seen that i could have sworn we talked about that together oh yeah i think i've seen it uh like a long time ago i haven't seen it in a long time though uh, so yeah, I, I kind of want to circle back on that one and check it out again. But yeah, I just feel like there's such cool ideas. So anytime a new vampire movie comes out, I, I always kind of have high hopes that it's doing something different. So, uh, we'll, we'll see if we feel like this one gets to that. All right. We should, we should circle back on that. Yeah. Good deal. There's all these movies that we discussed before the podcast came out where when we started the podcast, we're like, that's too fresh. We just talked about that. Let's not do it. Right. And now suddenly it's been like seven or eight years since we <laughs> yeah. watched some of them. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's time. I think so. Yeah, it's time to get back to 2016. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. I Alex wasn't able to do the Ohio Connection, but I, I took a stab at it. It's a little repetitive. We've, we've made a connection through this avenue before, but I'm going to hit it anyway. Sounds good. So Renfield depicts the titular servant of Dracula. Wait. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what did yeah. I write? So <laughs> Renfield depicts the titular servant of Dracula attending a support meeting for people in codependent relationships. The support group Codependence Anonymous is a real-life 12-step program for people who share a common desire to develop functional and healthy relationships. There are dozens of other 12-step programs to help people with issues like gambling addictions, overeating, and various other issues. But the very first 12-step program came from Alcoholics Anonymous, which was founded in Akron, Ohio in the 1930s. Nice. Good one. I think we hit that once before, but it bears repeating. I think that's a yeah. really fun Akron history fact. <laughs> it is Not so fun. much fun, but important. <laughs> it's important, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wonder what it is with the 12 steps. Like That seems to be an important number in getting over things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is. I could have gone more into that, but... Yeah. Just trying to get that Ohio connection and get out of there. Nice job. Well done. <laughs> All right, man. Let's walk through the plot. This is where we're going to spoil things, everybody. So duck out now and go see it if you don't want us to spoil it. Before we start walking through this, bud, do you mind holding on one second? My wife is sick, and i got to run and get her some chicken soup. Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Cool. You know, I actually already did, but I've got to do it again. Long story. I'll explain it when I get back. Okay. All right. right, Be right back. All right. Hey, buddy. I'm back. Hey, you get that chicken soup? I did. I think we're all set now. Apparently apparently my wife uh, didn't like the first batch of chicken soup I got because she said the chickens used to make it weren't innocent enough. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I had to go <laughs> find a butcher whose meat comes from more ethical sources. <laughs> the organic type. Uh, I'm not saying it's no sourced hormones. ethically. I'm saying the animals themselves are ethical. Oh. <laughs> ethical chickens. <laughs> they know where to lay their eggs. They're not <laughs> fucking <it up. laughs> Like the chicken that these thighs came from, if it found a $20 bill on the road, would it A, take it for itself? Yeah. So let's see. Our story begins here with a bit of a backstory on Renfield and Dracula. We see some scenes from Universal's Dracula from 1931 with Cage and Holt imposed into them, letting us know that the events of that movie are canon. Renfield was converted into a familiar by Dracula, and he essentially is Dracula's servant with some supernatural powers bestowed upon him by Dracula. These powers are at their strongest when Renfield is fueled by eating bugs. Um, in case anybody has read the book but not seen that movie, in the movie, Jonathan Harker's character is kind of merged with Renfield's character. So in the 1931 Dracula, Renfield is like, the real estate guy who comes out to make a deal with Dracula, and then he gets converted into Dracula's servant. You feeling good about that? Did I know that? Yeah. Yeah, I needed <laughs> I needed a win after that uh, <laughs> ownership rights type stuff. Nice, nice. Sorry, I'm sure two people out there right now are like glad you said that. <laughs> I, th- I think okay, All that's right, a popular right. popular book. Um, I don't know. I don't, I think people have read it. Oh, okay, okay. I think more people have read the book than have seen that movie. Hmm. Okay, okay. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, we learn that in a recent encounter with some vampire hunters, Dracula was very badly injured before Renfield was able to save his life. And they have recently moved to New Orleans where Dracula is recuperating in an abandoned hospital while Renfield fetches his victims. 
What do you think of this backstory? Any comments along the way here? Uh, I was surprised at how quickly they jumped into the action scene. Like, uh, yeah, great opening, like him in a support group, and then suddenly, like, it's like this mid-action shot that's going on uh, with Nick Cage and uh, like a priest who's like trying to kill him. And uh, yeah, it, was, it just felt like very quick introduction into what was going on. So yeah, a, a little bit rushed for me. But what did you think? Okay, I, I liked it. I mean, it, it was a, the quick. I felt it was very clear that this is the backstory. Here's everything you know before we need to get into the actual story. So, yeah. Hey, did you see any trailers for this before the film? Uh, bits and pieces. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I knew about the, like the support group aspects pretty well, and that like yeah, he's gonna show up there at some point. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- this felt like things uh, that you were already kind of expecting coming in uh, to the film. Sure. Um, to assuage some of Renfield's guilt over taking innocent lives to feed Dracula, Renfield attends a codependent anonymous meeting. Uh, ostensibly, Renfield does this so he can hunt down the abusers of the group members and feed them to Dracula. He feels less guilty if he knows that getting rid of these people is improving the lives of others. However, the group eventually helps him see how his own life is being ruined by his abusive relationship with Dracula. And I can't help if maybe part of the reason he was going there was deep down he knew this about himself oh yeah yeah that's a really good point it, it really talks about how yeah how did he find that group right right yeah uh i do like the comedic angles up front though like how they're making fun of ska at the beginning <laughs> there's, there's a whole section making fun of ska which i was on board with yeah needs to be made fun of more uh when renfield goes to find one of the group's members boyfriends to make him a victim he stumbles upon a scene in which the boyfriend along with a couple of buddies have stolen massive amounts of cocaine from a local drug syndicate slash organized crime family and they believe renfield is there on behalf of that crime family a fight ensues and becomes even more chaotic when an actual assassin sent by that crime family known as the lobo family gets in on the action in a gory over-the-top action scene, Renfield dispatches all four of these opponents and tries to track down whoever sent the assassin, but Teddy Lobo, played by Ben Schwartz, speeds away in his vehicle and escapes. What did you think of that fight scene? Uh, that was a lot of fun. I loved how, uh, yeah, the, he walks in and they think he's with that group and he's like, no, I know your girlfriend or something. So <laughs> He's it, like, I'm a friend of Susie's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a great like, comedic setup and then the violence uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, kicking off that guy's head was pretty neat. So uh, yeah, I, li- I liked how over the top they were on the violence. Very, very stylistic. What did you think? I agree. I enjoyed the over-the-top stylistic violence. It sounds like some people were just meh on it based on some reviews and discussion I've seen, but I was a fan. I thought it was shot well, directed well, and it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Action worked here. Yeah. Uh, After Teddy escapes in that speeding car, he comes to a DUI checkpoint where he is confronted by Officer Rebecca Quincy, played by Aquafina who shoots out his tires and arrests him at gunpoint for possession of cocaine and assaulting police officers. Back at the station, we learn that Teddy has been let go due to corruption on the police force, who is presumably in the back pocket of the powerful Lobo crime family. Quincy is indignant about this, and it's clear that she's endured years of frustration working for a corrupt force. We get a cliche line from one of the higher-ups on the force who tells Quincy she'll never end up being the cop that her father once was before his death. Uh, we also learn that Quincy's sister is an FBI agent with whom she has a tenuous relationship. How did you feel about Aquafina's introduction, her character, how things are going so far with this new avenue of the story? 
yeah, I thought this was like so formulaic and stale. Like uh, the whole introduction to Aquafina and her partner, like running this uh, traffic stop for DUIs. Like the dialogue is just like so uh, vanilla and like out of oh man, I can't believe we have to do this. I want to do more interesting stuff. And then the whole thing about like the trope of her dad being like some ex-cop that's like everyone reveres, you know. And that's I we've seen that in, like a million movies. That's like every cop movie from like the '90s and 2000s. So I was a little disappointed. What, what did you think? Yeah, I almost audibly groaned in the theater when he was like, you'll never be like your dad. I was just like, oh, <laughs> not again. Like, do I we really need to take it down this road? And it wasn't like self-aware enough where it was like making fun of it. It was like taking itself kind of seriously. I would have appreciated if they had just tweaked that a little bit to make it self-aware. Yeah. I have been watching some bad romantic comedies with my wife over the past couple of years. We just, Friday nights are movie night. Oftentimes she is pretty wiped out and doesn't feel like anything super heavy. Mm. And I'm a little bit in that same place, so we just like romantic comedy. And there are some that are just so dumb that I can laugh at them and enjoy them. Yeah. And so I think I've learned, as much as this irked me, to just like tune these things out a little bit because Mm. they all have stuff like this and you can kind of just, you can either laugh at it if it's severe enough or just you know, kind of look the other way (laughs) if it's just like, okay, (laughs) we're we're doing all the things we're you typically do in these movies. I guess. I, it's been a while, though, since I feel like I've seen a... Uh, I mean, even this trope, it's, like, such an old trope. I, I thought, like, movies were beyond this, like, the whole cop who's, like, trying to live up to their dad. Like, is that still a thing? I, I think it is. And, and to be clear, that's not a romantic comedy trope, but... Yeah. It, I guess I've become a little bit immune to formulaic okay. genre tropes. Yeah. In my defense. Um, okay. But, you know, and the other thing is, like, I, I usually uh, love Aquafina. I think, I think she can be pretty funny in some of her shows. Uh, so that was kind of disappointing to see I'm a big fan with Aquafina, of Aquafina, and I, I have my beef with her in this movie, and I'll, I'll lay it out later. All right. Um, anyway, meanwhile, Renfield has brought Dracula his victims from the earlier fight scene, and Dracula deems them an unsatisfactory meal. He's looking for innocent blood, and these people simply aren't innocent enough in case anyone was wondering what the hell I was talking about with my chicken joke. (laughs) In an effort to find this innocent blood that Dracula so desires, Renfield visits a restaurant looking for victims. Uh, Officer Quincy happens to come to the same restaurant at the same time looking for clues that have led her here uh, that she's trying to put the Lobo family away for good. However, Teddy Lobo, whose mother has urged him to remind the cops, this cop specifically, Aquafina, that they cannot mess with the Lobos, has come to the restaurant to kill Officer Quincy, even though it's clear that he may not have the gumption to do so. There's this whole relationship with Teddy Lobo and his mom where he's <laughs> kind of a weenie and she's like, you got to toughen up and like torture and mutilate some people like the family does. Yeah. Um, so Teddy holds Quincy at gunpoint in front of all the restaurant patrons and she's like, you know what, just shoot me. She would rather die with honor than be a part of a police force that's cowed by criminals and and be someone that doesn't stand up for what's right. And Renfield witnesses this and is deeply moved by her willingness to stand up for herself and not take shit from anybody. So before Teddy can pull the trigger to kill her, Renfield intervenes, and he and Quincy together wipe out all the Lobo's thugs that are at the restaurant accompanying Teddy if you are a person who is listening to this without watching the movie, if you haven't caught on, Renfield kind of is basically a superhero if he eats enough bugs. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's got these supernatural abilities imbued to him by Dracula, 
and he's also an incredible fighter somehow. So it's another pretty badass fight scene. Uh, what did you think of this one? Same. Yeah, you're right. It was a really cool fight scene. Uh, some great like arms coming off with mm-hmm. like a plate um, and just like the yeah number of people. Like we saw him take down three people in the first fight scene. And this is like a whole room of people wearing masks that he's uh, taken out. And even Aquafina is getting into it. So yeah, can't, can't uh, knock the action sequences. They're, they're a lot of fun and gory and bloody and kind of slapsticky. So a lot of fun. arms coming off. Yeah, so many arms coming off. <laughs> I think later Aquafina's like, did I just see you cut someone's arms off with a decorative platter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's on the adrenaline. Um, uh, what did you think? Did, did, did you like it? I did. I liked it a lot. And there's a little... There are... There's a lot of comedy peppered throughout the movie. I think that's hit or miss for some people. Most of it was hitting for me so far. As, you know, the police cliches were pretty groan-inducing, but... Dracula, when he was saying, like, I need innocent victims, he was giving examples. He's like, you know, a young, like, a loving couple or a bunch of nuns or a busload of cheerleaders. And Renfield's like, okay. And then he gets to the restaurant and he sees, like, a couple talking. And then all these nuns, like, sharing a beer and a trust busload of cheerleaders comes in. And he's like, oh, like, (laughs) nervous about killing these innocent people. So, yeah, that, that was funny. That was funny. Even if he's, as he's like walking towards the cheerleaders with like the the chemicals to like knock them out. Yeah, and then right. he's like awkwardly back up when the cop walks in. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, I, I agree. He I delivers a good comedic performance throughout this movie, in my opinion. Nicholas yeah. Holt. Yeah, I would say so far for sure. So far, okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. So they kill all these dudes. Teddy manages to escape yet again, but. Renfield and Quincy still feel like they've won the night and saved the restaurant patrons from any possible violence. They exchange some words of appreciation and praise for one another. And Renfield is so profoundly impacted by this interaction that he begins shirking his duties to Dracula. Another joke in here that some of these jokes are like pretty obvious, but they they were just kind of funny to me where she's like, so are you military or something? And he's like, yep, yep, the Great the War. Great War. Yeah, Iraq. And just... The setup is he's yeah. like a century and a half old yeah. and like interacting with the modern world. And they milk that for humor. Yeah. But I think most of the time to success. Yeah. I feel like there could have been way more of that. But yeah, when when he does do it, it's hilarious. Like he gives like that Iraq war like a three and a half out of five or something. Does he, <laughs> doesn't he rate it or something? Like, yeah. He's very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's awkward. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think a lot of it is his performance and like the, the accent, and, like the ability to deliver these lines like kind of awkwardly? Is that is that what's carrying this? I do. I think so. I think the jokes that they wrote... The writing as a whole in the movie is not bulletproof, but some of the jokes are pretty well written, and I I do think that they would still miss if if Holt wasn't doing a good job with the delivery. Mm, okay, yeah, you're probably right. Um, so unfortunately for Renfield, um, he's he's now on this kick where he's like, I'm gonna live my own life, with, not no longer under the thumb of Dracula, but neither the Lobo family or Dracula is willing to let these acts go unpunished. The Lobos require retribution for killing their men, and Dracula desires retribution for Renfield's betrayal. This shared interest, combined with a desire to grow their power and influence, causes the Lobo family to form an alliance with Dracula. Dracula knows the best way to punish Renfield is to hurt those closest to him, so he descends upon Renfield's self-help group and annihilates them in a bloodbath that Renfield is not powerful enough to stop. 
Um, oh, uh, did you understand Dracula's plan, plan for global dominance? It was pretty vague. I don't know if he even understood it. Oh, okay, it's just like a circle around but, a few cities. But I think he thought, like, you know, I could get more minions, like Renfields, and just slowly consolidate power that way. Ah, uh, got it. So turn everyone into Renfields? Maybe. Maybe that was the plan, but it was okay. not fully fleshed out. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing we'll discuss in the review is the decision to not have the movie be so solely focused on the Renfield Dracula dynamic mm-hmm. and instead expand the scope to this crime inter- crime syndicate and the love interest if that's what you can call Aquafina's character yeah um, so meanwhile Officer Quincy has uncovered some evidence that leads her to believe that Renfield may be responsible for hundreds of death all over the world spanning back decades with the help of her FBI agent sister so she enters this self-help meeting intending to arrest Renfield and then she comes upon this scene where he's la- sitting there around all these dead bodies. So she's even more convinced of his guilt when she see this. She sees this. So she arrests him. And they're soon surrounded by police vehicles and the black cars of the Lobo family. And the police allow the Lobos to abscond with Renfield so that they can punish him themselves. But Quincy again stands up for justice and goes against the rest of the police force and she manages to escape with Renfield, and they take shelter in his apartment. Here, Renfield confides his history to a disbelieving Quincy, but before she has much time to digest the fact that he is a servant of Dracula, the Lobo family's henchmen descend upon them, and another elaborate and gory fight scene ensues. This Wait, one I especially enjoyed. Which which scene is it? This is when they go to the Lobos, right? No, they're back at his apartment, mm-hmm. and then they realize oh. that they're coming for them right and right. kind of like on the balconies of the apartment and stuff like yeah there's a scene where one of the guys is kind of hanging over the railing and renfield jumps down and like, <laughs> like breaks him in half yeah. essentially it's just like explodes in blood <laughs> yeah uh, and the oh man when he eats the ants from that kid uh to gain his powers he like grabs that ant farm and sucks these ants down <laughs> oh yeah that, that was funny <laughs> sir yeah that was, that was cool yeah again like a really really fun action sequence uh, again like arms being thrown at people as weapons yeah like i think he like launches an arm at somebody from across the way yeah. and it like impales, impales them, them to, like, and then aquafina like pulls it out and uses it to bludgeon somebody yeah. else yeah yeah i enjoy that kind of splat stick uh gore in action so this i do too fun. Yeah, if you're gonna be like, uh, if you're trying to do like uh, very stylish action uh, action scenes, like this is the way to go. Yeah, and I there's humor worked into this too. Like when he jumps down and like breaks that guy in half, he just kind of like waves to her as he's like falling down the, oh, yeah. like the balconies, and she has this like awkward wave back to him. Yeah, <laughs> and that maybe here's where I'll go into my Beef? my rant, uh, my oh. thoughts on Aquafina's character. That's a moment where he is playing his character, who's just like, not only is he from another century, but he's become quite comfortable with just like outrageous violence. Mm-hmm. And so he's like waving like, hey, we're doing this together, buddy. And she's just like, oh, my God, like what's happening? And that, I think, is what the relationship comedy wise should be between the characters. Like he's the comedic relief. She's the straight man. Kind yeah, of. sure. The, by straight man, I mean the comedic yeah. you know, archetype. The archetype in a comedy where they're essentially reacting to the goofier character. 
Right, which is uh, what what's going on throughout the whole film, isn't it? Well, I think they try to make Aquafina funny on her own. In addition, like there's stuff at the police station where she just keeps saying like "fuck you, Kyle" or like that one cop. <laughs> yeah, like they try to make her funny. She tries to make it a funny performance. Huh. And I think this is where like it just fails, and why I'm not crazy about her yeah. in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't get a sense of her trying to be funny. I thought like the whole time she's just like really angry, and like that's supposed to be kind of funny, like the rage that she has and how frustrated she is in, in this position. Um, and I, I thought it was like a, a miss by like not giving her funnier lines or making her funny. But then I hear your point about, uh, yeah, you can't have like two funny people at the lead here, right? Um, but yeah, you, you sensed that they were trying to make her funnier, and and that that didn't work. That was my perception that they were trying to like give her some share of the humor too, but it would. Mm-hmm. I think really the source source of the humor would be her reactions to Renfield. Right, right. And like she she does that successfully. There, she's funny sometimes, but it's only with Renfield that she's funny. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Because um, otherwise, she's just like this kind of straight laced cop. I think. Uh, right. Which like is, is a character we've seen in so many other movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at some point it is revealed that the Lobo family has Quincy's FBI agent sister hostage. So Renfield and Quincy descend upon the Lobo compound to defeat the crime family once and for all. And upon their arrival, Renfield is dismayed to learn that Dracula has converted Teddy Lobo along with several henchmen to familiars. So what could have been an easy fight for Renfield with the supercharged bug-eating superpowers ends up being much more of a challenge because he's essentially facing people with the same abilities. Nevertheless, he manages to defeat everyone uh, while Quincy sneaks up to the room where Teddy's mom, the head of the family, is holding her sister. Quincy is dismayed to learn that her sister is already near dead, but Dracula tells her that if she will just join them, then Dracula will use his blood to heal her sister. Renfield stumbles upon the scene, and it appears as if Quincy is giving herself over to Dracula as she gives herself over to his embrace. However, it's revealed to the audience that this was all done in order for her to get closer to the switch that controls the room's shades, and she flicks the switch and lets the sunlight spill into the room. It's funny to me that this is a really wealthy family with, like, high-tech mansions, and their their window shade is a just big, gigantic physical switch that says window shade in all caps. Industrial, like, size. It's, like, not, like, a little button or anything. Yeah. Yeah. On some sleek technology, it's like if Bugs Bunny had a switch in a cartoon <laughs> from the 1940s that did yeah. something. <laughs> Break glass here. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and there are these moments in the movie where I'm like, man, they should have like made this a little bit of a like over the top, just like you were talking about with the, your dad was a better cop and you're never going to make it that way. Yeah. Like if they had done these a little tongue in cheek with a wink. And a nod, I, I think it could have worked a little better. I but I don't know if that would have taken away from some otherwise serious-ish. No, I don't think the movie was serious enough, though. I think you could have still done that. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't feel like this was a very serious movie at all. So, I yeah. think the arc is a little bit serious. The oh, emotional sure. journey. It, its heart takes itself seriously that For Renfield like, is going Ren- through something. What, like Renfield? Oh, okay. His, yeah. His, yeah. That he wants to make restitution. He doesn't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. Not right. only for himself and like this isn't healthy for me, but like I'm killed killed a bunch of people and I'd like to stop. Yeah. 
that I, yeah I agree that is like the heart of the story and that's a really cool angle but what put him on that path to like make that decision I mean I think that the it probably had been simmering for years he goes to these meetings whether it was simply truly to just get these victims I'm sure he absorbed some of what he learned there then yeah. he more f- sees Aquafina like stand up and be her own person and he's inspired hmm I think that is her character's core role is like that's what makes it click for him and be like, I can be like that. Yeah. Then he goes to these meetings and gets more reinforcing information and stuff. Mm. (laughs) I love the scene where he's like talking it through with the leader at the group and he's like, then he won't grow to full power. And this was in the trailer too, but he's yeah. like, exactly, he won't grow to full power. What? That is such a weird say, way to say that, but you're right. Yeah. And then he has then everyone saying power. like, I will grow to full power. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. I like yeah. that. Um, where are we here? So the light comes in. It severely wounds Dracula and a battle ensues between him, Quincy, and Renfield. The latter two eventually find a way to trap Dracula in a magical circle, which can be formed using any kind of powder, uh, but in this case has been built using the mounds of cocaine controlled by the Lobo family. Lobo family. After Dracula is trapped, they steal some of his blood so that they can later utilize its healing powers, and they utterly destroy him, and they encase his body, tiny pieces of him, in cement and they scatter it to make it more difficult for him to somehow heal and reassemble himself later. Renfield uses the blood to bring his self-help group back to life and Quincy uses it to heal her sister and presumably everyone goes on to live a happy, healthy life where they continue to work on their relationships and improve <laughs> their situations. Yeah, less codependence. And there's no romantic, like, ah, oh, they made it or like, ah, yeah. oh, they're together moment between him and Quincy yeah is it clear even that there's a romantic thing going on there I don't think so uh which I, I kind of appreciate because yeah usually that's like a huge part of any of the story uh, it's like yeah, the 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 main lead and actress coming together but no I, I like that it was cool it felt like more like uh, they were inspiring one another or like encouraging one another to do what they're doing uh so I, I like that aspect of it what did you think I did too, that it wasn't just a typical romantic comedy beats. It's more like I, I'm inspired by you or learning from you. Right. And I, like I respect and appreciate you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it is a little bit structured like a rom-com. Like that's the meet cute in the restaurant where they like get into this crazy fight together. Sure. And then they just end up in this big thing together that they weren't quite anticipating. It's a bit of a... Uh, this is like a common story convention. Like, have you ever seen The Man Who Knew Too Little? No. With Bill Murray? Like, somebody finds themselves in an actual... It's not quite the same thing, but someone finds themselves in a serious situation that they totally weren't expecting or, like, aren't taking seriously. They, like, fall ass backwards into, like, the middle of an, a battle between organized criminals or something mm. like that. Like, yeah. They become some part of a big conspiracy, totally unbeknownst to them. Sure. So I think there's a lot of different, you know, there's like cop movie tropes, romantic comedy tropes. Yeah. Some of them are so cliche, but I think you get enough of them mixed together that it kind of makes for an original hmm, something story. new story. Yeah, but I'll be honest, when I first was realizing we were going down this path where, oh, now there's a love interest, 
now there's this crime organization. I was a little bit like, this is maybe getting too big, and I just wanted to know more about Dracula and Renfield. Mm-hmm. But what did you think? Yeah, I think that is the expectation. Like you've talked about in horror films, it's all about the scare and the kills, the deaths at the individual level. And this one, yeah, the plot, like they just kept throwing people, uh, characters in, then the institution of the mob and the police. And so it's like building out this whole world and like how they're all coming together. And then, yeah, I think once the tropes start to settle in, you know exactly kind of what's going to happen that like, oh, the mob's going to hook up with vampire with with Dracula and they're going to get powers and it's going to be some big battle at the end. So uh, once it like you started to see where uh, the, the, the tropes are getting and I felt like it became really predictable and, and less interesting. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I didn't feel like the uniqueness was there for me. I had a harder time. I didn't really. Movies like this, though, that excite me yeah. and that are funny, they keep me from thinking too much about the movie. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really thinking about where it was going to go. I didn't think, oh, of course they're going to team up with Dracula. Of course he's going to turn a bunch of them familiars. That wasn't really on my radar, but my brain kind of turned off a little. It, I gave into the movie <laughs> at a certain sure. point. Yeah, you know, you talk about it being funny, and, and yeah, I agree. Like there, are, like some lines and like some awkwardness that like makes uh, Renfield like really fun to watch and like engage with people. I think uh, the comedy angle that I would have liked is kind of more the plot comedy where yeah here's a trope and here's a cop that uh follows this line and like these gangsters come and do this but uh we're gonna make fun of that and like do the opposite or like there's something like ridiculous is gonna happen that's like unexpected so from more like a plot sequence standpoint uh stepping outside of the lines of the formula or making fun of the formula uh i thought it was kind of missing for from oh, the comedic okay. side okay see i thought it was a, a funny movie and i i think that Comedies, like we've talked about in the past, they're hard for us to discuss. Yeah. They're hit or miss with other fans, too. A lot of people are like, that was whatever. And other people are like, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And a lot of it can even probably just depend on your mood when you go into it. Yeah, true. I thought it was really funny. I thought the type of humor in this was something like, sorry, everybody, especially you youngsters. I'm going to pluck this example from like 35 years in the past. (laughs) But like the Golden Girls... (laughs) I think is a very funny show. <laughs> okay. Uh, but like there's four women. One's the promiscuous one. One is the dumb one. One is the blunt one. And then Dorothy is like the quote unquote straight man. And almost all the humor in that show stem from that, like those sources and that alone. Like, yeah, it's kind of lowbrow on its face. Like, oh, she's going to say something promiscuous. And then the other, the dumb one's not going to get what she means. And yeah. They can do those things over and over again and still find a way to make it feel fresh. And 30 Rock does that with like Liz and Jack and them being polar opposites. I feel like that is where the humor really works with Renfield being this like dude from another time who's super violent and serves like an actual monster and like him interacting with reality and with real characters and trying to explain himself to Aquafina. Yeah. That, th- those are interesting examples because I feel like both of those Golden Girls and Dirty Rock you have a whole cast and, and like the comedy is all about how these different personalities are entering, interacting with each other and like that whole situation that that creates in this one I feel like too much of the comedy was dependent on uh, Renfield uh, everyone else like was playing it pretty straight and uh, this guy John Ralphio he was obviously like really funny but we got like very little interaction between those two 
um and then nick cage like i, I don't know i don't know what he was doing like I, I was waiting like is he gonna do something crazy or like give us a bizarre over the top act or say something like really funny i, I don't feel like he ever delivered that much comedy did you, did you get anything from him i actually i thought his performance was like kind of like perfectly middle of the road like I'm not there like everybody else is to see Cage go bonkers. Like, mm. and that feels like too, I don't want to see him become that either. Just like, oh, I freak out and everyone knows I'm going to freak out. <laughs> he, I thought, gave a solid performance. It was like comedic at times when it needed to be and actually kind of creepy. And I think his most primary role in the story was to be this manipulator of Renfield and really like hit him below the belt sometimes and like mm-hmm. get him to come crawling back. And I think his performance served that that goal really well. And he he wasn't even in the movie all that much. I know, right? Uh, Which might be why people aren't and you know the user still gave it 80%, but yeah. Don't get me wrong, it has so many flaws like on paper objective flaws that Mm-hmm. I'm sure that factors into the negative critic score, but I think people were probably expecting a little bit more from Nicolas Cage. I think so. Uh, and yeah, I think you nailed it with like middle of the road. I feel like that's a very good uh, adjective for a lot of what we saw here is like the plot was like, was it creative enough? Were the jokes like funny enough? Were the performances uh, good enough? Um, maybe that was the music too loud. Uh, you know, these are questions people are, are thinking about, you know? Uh, but yeah. So you you got to save the music is too loud comment for an episode where I haven't brought up the Golden Girls. Oh, yeah. Got to stay with it. Why? We're hip. We're young. All right. Oh, yeah. Listen to us. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I, I agree. Like, it, it was a, it was the role it needed to be, but it, uh, was, this isn't a movie that, like, was meant to play, like, middle of the road. Like, this movie, like, with its action, it went out of the way to be, like, really stylistic and over the top. Uh, why it shouldn't have done it, like, in every other aspect as well? I think it was important for Renfield to have a meaningful arc, and I think if Dracula was too out there, it would take away from some of the seriousness of what Renfield was going through under Dracula's spell. Yeah, I guess. I could see Nick Cage being like really scary and like uh, insane. Like uh, with, with, you know, like in Mandy when he freaks out in the bathroom. Like there's, when he lets loose, like he can be kind of frightening too. And I, I guess I never, uh, the whole relationship between Renfield and Dracula felt under Bakes. Like we know he's really scared of him, but it would have been really cool to kind of see like that intensity come out at some point. Did you get that, that sense at all? Sure. I mean, I didn't feel a whole lot of terrifying intensity, but I also feel like he was modeled after like Bela Lugosi's Dracula in that film. He also kind of looked like um, the ghoul from a, a movie that I think is called London After Midnight. That's what the Babadook's appearance is based on, hmm. like okay. with his top hat and the way his teeth were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just I feel like he was more in character. If this is a sequel, he matched up better than if he had gone like two bonkers. Sure. But at the same time, I hear what you're saying. And an interesting influence for him. I, I read in Fangoria him say that one of the characters that influenced his performance was Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. Oh, cool. Like, yeah. So I feel like that shows how much it was important to him to be like, my job here is to manipulate. And like play emotional games with a, a youngster, Renfield. Yeah, like Renfield. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, that's that's really cool. 
I um, hear what you're saying though. I think there's a lot of different ways you could have taken this movie. I think there's a lot of ways that may have pleased crowds and critics more. Yeah. But this is the way they went. And I think once I got comfortable with the fact that I was like, okay, this is like a crime movie, over-the-top action movie type thing, that yeah. I was able to let go. But I totally hear the beef. Yeah. With I, I totally hear any beef about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think when a movie is as over the top with the violence, it needs to be, it doesn't need to be over the top overall. It's not like what we've gotten used to, like the cranks, shoot 'em ups, um, any, any like movie we're seeing that like goes overboard and like showing all this gore and stuff. You expect almost every other element of the movie to mirror that in a way, right? Hmm. Trying to think of. Yeah. Like Yes, but does it have to? And does it have to like look right at the camera to let you know? Yes, we know we're going overboard. Yeah, because uh, I I do think some of the police tropes were just like a okay, this is not a cliche, and it's not in here for you to laugh at. It's here because that's what we need for the story. Sure, uh, I, I mean, like even the mob was kind of cliche as well. Like uh, the yeah, like what, what was their angle? What were they doing? We didn't really know much details on what Dracula was doing, like what how his plan worked. Um, yeah, I'm still really curious about Renfield and his motivation. Like he gets in that support group and he, like he feels terrible about what he's done. He sees he could take control of his life, but I feel like we're missing what he's been up to for the last 50, 60 years, and like how dark of things like he's done. Did you get a sense for that? Like I know his whole performance is like guilt ridden. And he's like feeling very sorrowful, but uh, do you feel like it was earned? I do, and he like mentions that like he you know lost his wife and child and betrayed them, and I, I do th- I think maybe we could have gone seen him go to darker places with his yeah. own self image. This movie packed a lot in, so that it it feels like maybe it glossed over some things that it could have touched more on. Yeah, I I'm almost worried that it kind of got a little sappy at certain parts with the amount of like emotional weight they tried to add in between him and Aquafina's character and like what they were struggling with with their family or like their past. Um, and it, I don't know, like was this meant to be like a heavy emotional film or was it supposed to be like more fun and action scary? I mean, it's supposed to be fun, action scary, obviously. But there are deep emotional things in here. But I do think if they had gone too hard on them. Maybe that's not tonally what the movie was supposed to be. Sure, sure. It's funny you mentioned Crank. I, I specifically have a note that when he kicked Teddy Lobo in the stomach for like the final oh, kill, and the they X-ray. cut to the X-ray, that was very Crank esque. Yeah, yeah. That was a nice, nice job there. Doesn't he like shit himself at that point? Does he? I may uh, have missed that. I feel like you see like fluids flowing like out from both of the sides. Of, yeah. <laughs> um. What did you think about like the cinematography and, and the fight choreography? I, I saw someone complaining in Discord about like the CGI blood. Oh. I'm not saying there wasn't, but I think there was some practical stuff mixed in too, like you know, yeah, prosthetic arms flying about and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it it, it it worked and it felt like pretty fun and uh, gave the movie like some energy when it would like kind of get bogged down with some conversation or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and pre- pretty well choreographed fight scenes. Uh, I don't know about the editing, if the cuts were too quick, but w- what did you think? I-, I think I was okay with the editing. Uh, you know, there's inevitably quick action, quick editing in those action sequences in a movie like this, but yeah, I didn't think they were so quick as to make it frenetic 
uh, sure chaotic in a good way, but not frenetic. Yep. And uh, uh, on the editing, got it. And on the editing, um, what was with all the red and green lighting? Like everywhere characters went, like they, they it felt like there was always like that light on. Yeah, that's a, a good question. I mean, that was very much like Dracula's lighting as well. So oh, it's like Christmas time. Never takes down the tree. I think. I mean, the red obviously is the blood. The green, boy, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like that. That was like the vibe or the filter they put on the whole film. What did you think of Dracula's appearance? Oh, cool! I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty neat. The teeth were neat. I, I loved how like he's all uh, destroyed in the beginning. Like his face is just like a, a like pretty gory and gross. And then by yeah, the end, it's there was some good like, like prosthetic makeup on his face there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That was that was really cool. Um, would you feel? How'd you feel about John Ralphio's character? I liked him. I, I think he could have even been a bit more developed too. Like what's what's he want out of all this? And he just kind of like wants to make mommy proud or he like yeah. wants to be tough. I could have, I could have gotten to know him a little bit more, but I liked, I liked him as the like lead Doug. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I thought he, he brought some good energy to the film. Um, these kind of films in general, which, uh, Oh, I, I guess let's go back to genre for a second. Um, so definitely action, uh, in comedy. It sounds like you, you thought it was pretty funny. Uh, do you think horror deserves to be on here? Yes. I had a feeling we'd have this discussion. I'm not prepared for it, <laughs> okay. but I did have a feeling it would come up. I think when you are just so soaked in all the trappings of horror, it's about Dracula, a horror character. There are extremely violent deaths. It's it's a horror film. And there are scenes where people turn around and they're like, oh, shit, he's here. And like... Hmm. You know, Aquafina turns the corner and he's next to her, or the support group is like, "What the hell's happening?" And they see all their friends getting like annihilated by him. Yeah, I, I think it's a horror movie. There's piles of bodies, blood drinking. Yeah, it's just it's not structured like a horror movie at all. Right, but it's a horror movie. How how do you call this one a horror versus like The Crow? Because the crow like a character who comes back from the dead to avenge their death with the guidance of a crow has not yeah hasn't been a horror staple for 150 years oh, okay yeah so just because dracula's in this that you think that it makes a horror i think yeah partly partly yeah yeah i mean once you get into a movie like blade maybe that's a little more. I honestly, I think it's a hybrid. Hmm. I, I don't think this is a straight up horror movie. I think it's a action horror comedy hybrid. There, yeah. There's a Venn diagram there. I keep saying Venn diagram a lot. But sure. Horror is on the Venn diagram for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, very, very loose. I, I think it, you're right. Like maybe on the character side and like the, uh, yeah, it's paying tribute to like the the legacy character. But uh, yeah, from a plot standpoint, this yeah felt very much on the action side. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's structured like a, you know, action cop action crime comedy, movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then so yeah, on on that genre, like I feel like the trouble with a lot of 
comedy action films is like great comedy in the beginning good like dialogue going on once like the plot kicks in and like you get to these like heavy action sequences and there's like conspiracies going on and good cop bad cop you know corruption all that stuff then the comedy kind of starts to trickle away and becomes more into the plot and the action sequences uh did you feel like the comedy here might have dropped out like one or two thirds into the movie I feel like maybe it drops out a little bit, but it's usually like quickly followed up with such over-the-top action or important plot points that I didn't feel like it was getting dull at all. And I think okay. having John Raffio as Teddy, sorry, having Ben Schwartz as Teddy Lobo helped with that. Like That's it helped it, yeah. to make sure that there's some comedy on the criminal side as well. I agree. I feel like anytime he showed up, I was, I was, that was like when I was happiest. I think they could have written even more jokes for him. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I would. Um, I wonder if they had known he would be the character had they if they had like tweaked the script a bit. Oh, like if sure. he would be the performer. Yeah, yeah, if he would be the actor in there. Yeah, I I feel like uh this Nick Holt guy as Renfield, like his comedy was more understated and more just uh, awkwardness. Um, not like he was saying funny like, and, and more like situational stuff where like he's comparing his situation to like codependency and, and that kind of stuff. So if it, it wasn't like, yeah, it was a different brand of comedy than John Ralphio, I guess. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that it's like a fish out of water trope yeah. to, to mine for comedy. And I think they, I think they did so effectively. Okay. They didn't beat it over the head. Certain scenes they maybe did, but there, there was so much going on in the movie that it didn't end up being all that and that's one thing I worry about too if you had made the movie like way more focused on just him and Dracula if some yeah. of the jokes would have gotten old or you couldn't make a 90 minute movie out of it well that that's what I think happened because like the, the trailer of this is all about him comparing his relationship with uh, Dracula to like this toxic relationship and so much of the movie like even like uh, at the end when he's like beating up Dracula like it's all about this um, him like freeing himself from like this toxic relationship that he's in and I thought that was like the one uniqueness or one joke that like maybe they tried to carry on for too long and maybe it ran out of gas at some point like all the support groups and stuff but uh, did, did you get that feeling at all? No actually because the support group really isn't in the movie all that much uh, like are there like three three or four scenes? I think there's about three at first it's just him like scoping out the scene to find a victim yeah. The second one is him like actually engaging and learning and getting Talking literature it, yeah. to go back and read. And then the third one is them getting slaughtered. I yeah. guess there's a fourth one where he has healed them. At the end, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that's not that much time. I honestly feel like you could have taken Aquafina out of the movie and made the whole thing between him, his support group, his side characters, and Dracula. That would have been so cool. Yeah. It could have been a better enjoy- movie that way. Yeah. Yeah, I would really enjoy that. I, I think the cop mob stuff kind of uh, didn't work too well for me. Now that I think about this toxic relationship thing, that could very easily be a romantic comedy structure too. Like you start with them and their ex-boyfriend. So many rom-coms start like that, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, and how it just wasn't working. They break up. Then in the middle of the movie, they kind of like think about going back to them or maybe they're all I deserve. And then the final like showdown, they realize like, no, I'm too good for you. And then they go happily ever after with the other person. Yeah, that would have been really cool. I would have liked that angle. That's, I mean, that's what they did. Oh, uh, but Aquafina didn't do that. That was just uh, Renfield, right? Yeah, that's Renfield's... Dracula is like Renfield's ex. Yeah, but in the middle, does Renfield consider like going back to him? 
I mean, I think he doesn't all out consider going back to him, but he, I think he questions whether or not I'm even good enough to like oh. have this, whether this life for myself is possible or if I'm doomed to just be uh, his familiar. Got it. I thought like, I was actually surprised how quickly it was like, because as soon as he uh, had that revelation at that support group, he's suddenly shopping at Macy's. He's like rents an apartment. It's like an hilarious sequence. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. But I was surprised by like how quickly it seemed like he made the decision that I'm no longer going to be this guy's servant, um, which I I think the way you're describing it sounds a little bit more interesting. Where like he's constantly battling with it. I, I didn't seem like turning back after that. I, I think he. It's not like he turns back. Like maybe I I like that. I think he's like maybe I can't. Like maybe I've I'm already so bad that I can't mm, yeah. become good. I guess yeah. Maybe he says that to Aquafina at some point. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think what I'm describing is what happened. <laughs> okay. And you're saying, yeah, I wish I think, that it happened. Yeah, that's an interesting theory of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just maybe, maybe the performance. Uh, yeah, the way it was like tucked into the plot. Uh, I it got buried in there with all the other stuff going on for me. Sure. Sure. Uh, all right, man. Well, let's see. Zero to five self-help books. What do you give this movie? You say self-help books? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I'd give it two and a half uh, self-help books. I think um, this is a very formulaic plot, uh, a lack of scares, uh, some f- great comedy in the beginning, but I thought that kind of dropped away later on. Uh, the music was very loud and uh, lighting uh, was kind of interesting. Um but yeah, I think the the strength of this movie was like the uniqueness it brought with the whole psychological battle, and I would have loved to see that more in the center of this. But overall, I felt like the characters were thin, and it caused the film to oh, the film lacked the fresh blood it needed to bring an old franchise back from the dead. Oh, groan! <laughs> did you write this movie? I did. That you're right, ripping him back. right middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Uh, I think it wasn't quite the movie you could sink your teeth into. <laughs> no. Um, okay. <laughs> I gotta. I, I gotta be honest here. <laughs> I got out of this movie and I logged it as a 4.5. Holy shit, man. books out of five. Damn. I thought the great comedic performance by Holt combined with the over-the-top bloody action created an extremely enjoyable time at the movies. I was laughing. I was engaged. It was a good crowd. I had fun. I see the flaws. But I thought it was just a funny movie and a really fun time. Yeah. I feel like I'm tempted to dial it back down to a four because I'm like, okay, like Aquafina wasn't a good fit as much as I like her. Some of those lines were pretty cliche, like the whole cop thing. And not only was it cliche that like, oh, I'm not going to end up like my dad and I've got this tough relationship with my sister. They did it all in like four minutes, just like four plot points here shoved in your right. face. Like yeah. get it out oh, of the way. Oh, there's a sister. Yeah. Yeah, but I almost feel like that was a... A weakness and a strength because it was like ripping off a bandit. It's like, oh, they're doing this. Okay, now that part's over. <laughs> All right, we can move on uh, now. Yeah. yeah. So then the movie kept going on. I do. I had mixed feelings throughout. Like, oh, they're going this route with things. Like, I, I would have. I thought I was seeing a movie between like Renfield, Dracula, and a support group. Hmm. But I still think Dracula's presence loomed large in the movie. You know, he shows up at Holt's apartment at some point and it's like taunting him and intimidating him with his martini glass full of blood and eyeballs. I 
it's one of those movies where I, I have an emotional rating. <laughs> I feel I can support it only as well as I can support it. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to back down just because because you're like, wrong oh maybe logic yeah exactly uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no i'm glad you have like such a good time with it i feel like trying to like correct it for what's truly right undercuts my basic principle that rating movie ratings are subjective like oh. <laughs> yes there's some objectivity in there and you try to do your best to support the claims with facts yeah and a good movie will make you feel subjective things like sure you use objective tools to take someone on a sub- subjective ride as a filmmaker. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I just loved it. I, I think the, the highs outshine the lows for me. Yeah. That's so interesting because I, I feel like there weren't that many highs. Like, you call out the action, definitely a high. The comedy, I'll, I'll give you the comedy. Like, yeah, early on, comedy, there were, there were like some funny parts, but I still feel like that dropped away. Uh, it, John, John Ralphio is great. Um, but then, like, the plot on its own... Um, you feel like it, it was a strong plot? I think it was strong enough, yeah. But I, I think my counter argument, too, would be like, why? Why does it need more than a couple of great things? It's a comedy, action comedy. I love the action. I love the comedy. Nobody's like, uh, <laughs> Tommy Boy's <laughs> plot was incomplete or David Spade's character was undeveloped. Like, yeah. People love that movie because it's a comedy and it is funny. Uh, okay, but yeah, if you think action comedy like Step Brothers, right? I mean, have you seen Step Brothers? I haven't. No. Oh, okay. What What do you? What's your example of like a great action comedy? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I almost think of like Zombieland as a similar like um, movie, like action comedy horror hybrid. Whereas I like the action in that. I like the comedy. Yep. But even that, I feel like you had much fewer characters, and so you had a room for like much more funnier interactions because you have four of them together and a lot of unpredictability, which I think is what you need in an action comedy to be successful. And this one, there was just so much predictability going on. Like the, you saw that how, how this was going to end, like early on, right? I mean, specifically what, and that they would defeat Dracula, <laughs> or that they would have a showdown with the bad guys in the facility and he had turned them and had teamed up with Dracula. Yeah, that like John Ralphio would become uh, a, a, I a, No, I have no qualms admitting that I didn't see that coming. Oh, okay, okay. But, yeah. and I'm not trying to like defend my own intelligence. <laughs> I was so engaged with the movie that I wasn't thinking, thinking about right. what, what might happen or what might come. Ah, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, maybe that's the key on this one. You gotta turn off a little bit and just have a good time. I yeah, you got to be dumb like me, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Then you'll like the movie more. Step one. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I would. I, I'm gonna take a, st- a step out of Aquafina and and Renfield's book, and I'm not gonna back down. I feel like I should dial this back down to a four, but I'm gonna stand uh, with that gun pointed to my forehead and say it's a four point five out of five. Damn. And I'm gonna be so uh, so uh, inspired by your move here that I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and never look back <laughs> or, or whatever this guy decided to do based on that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think it you know, wouldn't have hurt to lean more into horror. Cause I think that could have brought in a lot, a lot more uniqueness. Like, 
yeah, get 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 dark, man. Show us what Renfield was doing for 50, 50 years and how he was like, uh, yeah, working with uh, Dracula and like build out that relationship more and like how messed up it is. I, I, I yeah, it didn't seem like Dracula was that bad to Renfield uh, in the limited interactions we saw, but I mean, obviously he was terrible, right? It's hard for me to picture the movie that you're creating in your mind having a tonal one. continuity to it. Uh, like you yeah. want it to be an action horror comedy, but we're going to go back into like a lot of the dark things he did. As yeah, well. that's where you make it a unique film. Uh, now it's not just an action comedy. You're actually layering in something new and, and making a, an interesting piece now. And, and, and it feels like a better sequel from the original. Like this one, I, I can't even tie this to the original. You haven't of, seen the original. That's true. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that might explain it. <laughs> I, I mean, but, I hear what you're saying, and I do think the film you're describing is unique. I don't know if it has cohesion. Yeah. yeah Tonal would, cohesion. I, I struggle to come up with how that would work. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like that, that would be the hard part, but that would be the feat. So like, do a challenge, man. Like, uh, to give us something different and uh, give us like a scary Dracula uh, and a Renfield who's like been doing really messed up stuff for years and finally having like a sense of like, oh, I should turn this around and that internal uh, dialogue he goes through. Because I think we got like a very uh, a fraction of that. Yeah. Hmm. I, I'm just having a hard time f- per- for see- like perceiving that as a comedy. Yeah. Like, like a dark, I think what you're describing is a dark comedy. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what it would be. Yeah. Yep. Right. On the darker side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and this this wasn't, uh, yeah, I mean, this had dark comedic elements, didn't it? With, like, the gore? I, I mean, it's a gory movie. I wouldn't call it a dark comedy, though. Yeah. I, I'd call the comedy pretty light. Yeah. Maybe that's also what was missing for me. Like, if, if it's a horror film, you got to have dark comedy. You can't just have light comedy, can you? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think Zombieland is a dark comedy i don't think Shaun of the dead is a dark comedy hmm. i don't think the final girls is a dark comedy i think those are just horror comedies mm. okay, tucker okay. and dale not a dark comedy yeah i guess i assume anytime like people are getting killed in massacres uh then i assume like there's a darkness to it no i mean i think of stuff like uh oh what's that movie with the longest ti- longish title with colin farrell and uh, the kid who like cast a spell on him sacred deer oh, killing of a sacred yeah. deer like that's what I think yeah. of when I think of like a dark comedy oh okay got it it's like pretty messed up yeah yeah got it got it yeah yeah maybe you're right maybe I'm, I'm not asking for too much here with the combination of genres I mean realistically as much as I'm pushing back I think most of the listeners are probably agreeing with you and exacerbated with me oh, <laughs> at the four and a half <laughs> yeah I think uh, it's gonna piss some people off yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's. A, I'm glad you said that this early on in the year. That's everyone gets. Uh, well, I, I guess it's a, it's early enough in the year to make a mistake, so it's good. <laughs> I also am just like in a place in my life where I'm just really enjoying movies. Oh lately. boy! <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm on that ride. I can't divorce my rating from that. Cool. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. That's Thanks. great. I'm sure I'll hey. get be everyone's grumpy uncle again soon. <laughs> yeah, but for I now, I got to ride this wave. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Hey, uh, one uh, missed opportunity. They kept talking about the Lobos, which means wolf, right? <laughs> 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 oh, man. I just, 
almost spit beer all over my computer. Where are you going with that? Are you trying I, to take this to a werewolf place again? Yeah. I thought there was going to be a twist oh, here. Jesus. The whole time, like, oh, shit. He's going to meet up with the mobsters because they, they weren't scared of him at all. Uh, and, like, the mom was, like, so confident. And then I thought that was going to be, like, the twist at the end is, like, Nick Cage walks in here thinking he's going to take over the world. Uh, the Lobo gang was actually a bunch of werewolves. How awesome would that have been? Wait, does Lobo actually mean wolf? I think so. There's a place by us called Pizza Lobo, and they have a wolf on the uh, on the thing, so I think so. I'm huh. There. 90% sure. In some language, Lobo might mean wolf. I mean, I think, like, lycanthropy, like, that root can mean wolf. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some rare on-air <laughs> Googling here. Yeah, check it out. I, I, I'm curious. The Legend of Lobo, Mexican Wolf. Canis, oh. Lupus. Lupus is wolf. The Mexican okay. wolf, also known as the lobo, is a subspecies of gray wolf. Okay, man. All right. Yeah. You win. Yeah. You so win. I, was, I was thinking, I was thinking that it was going to be a vampire and werewolf thing at the end. And that, I, maybe that's what I was waiting for the whole time when that didn't happen. I was like, what the fuck? I laughed. I almost spit beer, but you, you got a good <laughs> point. And because Universal has done, you know, the crossovers with their other monsters and stuff, and that that's Van it. Helsing movie with uh, Hugh. Jackman, uh, I feel like that was like a. Vampire there's been a lot of vampire thing. versus werewolf types. Stuff. Yeah, the Twilight movies. Okay, yeah. all right. I see. What, I I suck back up the beer that I <laughs> almost spit and I swallow it. <laughs> swallow right. it along with my shame. All right, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I think that would have been a, a really cool angle to have something more yeah, complex or interesting like that pop up at the end. I think it was so funny to me because people have recently been talking on the Discord server about how funny it was. In the visit that you kept suspecting werewolves oh, in the visit episode. Because they were following all the rules of werewolves, right? <laughs> Only at night, uh, nails, diapers, the werewolf. <laughs> we gotta wrap this thing up. <laughs> okay. okay, man, anything else before we that's, close the shop on this one? Th- that's all I got. All right. That has been our episode on Renfield, everybody. I'm sure you'll have some opinions. Feel free to share them with us. You can do that by getting in touch with us at horrormovieclub.com. There's a social links drop down that has links to Twitter and Facebook where you can interact with us. We also uh, post there what movie we're covering next week, the day after the episode comes out. We'll let you know on Thursdays usually what we're covering next week so you can watch it over the weekend. We're also at Instagram or on Instagram at Horror Movie Club Podcast. Big orange Patreon button on HorrorMovieClub.com if you want to subscribe for a dollar a month and gain access to bonus episodes. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. She made a cool coaster set with our logo. You can Google Horror Movie Club coaster set to find that. I think that's about it. So until next time, if you feel like you're being taken advantage of by your boss and you aren't happy with your role anymore, uh, just stop killing people for him. <laughs> it's as easy as that. Pretty messed up, and I'm pretty sure it's illegal that you're killing them. Yeah, yeah.